Good evening. I appreciate the Mr. Snatch for coming here tonight. The weather definitely definitely doesn't add to uh, one's will to leave the warm, cozy house and come here to this cold hall. But we'll try and warm you all up with a bit of hook of bishel. <laughs> Figuratively, but not literally. We are bang in the middle of the halachas of bishel. We started them very briefly at the end of the previous year. We'll try and elaborate this week mainly on the halachas of the power and the bishop of a Kaylee So we'll just do a quick hazara of what we learned at the end of the last year and we'll elaborate on much more practical halachas how Kaylee is does affect our cooking and how we serve, etc. on Shabbos. The Issa of Bishel does not just refer to cooking, it refers to cooking, baking, frying, melting, melting wax, melting fats, melting tar, finishing off an earthenware keili, finishing off an earthenware vessel by placing it in the oven to bake. It's also called bishul. All that is under the banner of bishul, which we learn from the Menachas HaMishkan, from the cooking of the Sammonim, of the dyes in the Mishkan. Cooking is an Isra and if one cooks the Moses on Shabbos, we learn, then the food for the person who cooks the Moses is Asa, is Asa for him forever, he can never eat that food. So much so that even the keli, the vessel, the pot that the food was cooked in, now has blears of food which is Asa, and for that person they have to cast the pot. For anybody else, if it was cooked for somebody else, then the other people can eat it after Shabbos, they can't eat it on Shabbos, but they can eat it after Shabbos. If one cooks by mistake, accidentally, according to some shitters, it's also for everybody for Shabbos, but after Shabbos, everybody, even the person who cooked it, can eat it. And there's on the ground, the ground is even more natural, and the Mishnah Bureau takes on like that, that the average one can even eat it, for others can even eat everybody can eat it, even on Shabbos, as long as it was cooked for Shagag. We explained that Issa Bishel is cooking by fire, cooking by secondary, secondary degree heat, which is Togat Ish, for instance, heating up a desert on the fire and then cooking on that beggar, heating up a pot, then removing the pot and cooking on that pot. Secondary degree heat is considered heat and is also considered special. Cooking by sunlight is mutter because sunlight is not fire and sunlight does not constitute bushel. And there's no worry that if you cook in the sun that we might make a mistake and end up cooking by fire, swapping the heat of, of sun for the heat of fire. We're not worried about that. And therefore Chazal said you are allowed to cook in sunlight. However, that means something which was heated up through the heat of the sun, a pot, a cloth, or whatever it may be, sand, something which is, has an intense heat but from the sun, since it's a secondary degree heat, a secondary degree heat, one can make a mistake, the difference between a secondary degree heat from the sun or something from fire is very small, very difficult for a person to realize that one was heated up by the sun, one was heated up by fire, therefore Chazal made a blanket there, so all secondary degree heat is also, so to cook, on Tolgate's Hammer is Asa. We also explain that to place a pot on the fire, even if there's no fire there, but with the understanding that something in a few minutes is going to come and light the fire there, that's also, Medar Bonner considered Bishel, you cannot put a pot on the stove in order that somebody else should come and light the stove and then the pot will cook. And that was an issue in the time of, of the uh, a couple of hundred years ago when the method of keeping a chalon hot for Shabbos morning was very difficult, and they used to place the pot on the stove, on the heating stove, on the the, uh, would, the the grater would come in in the morning and heat up the 
stones to heat the house up, at the same time it would heat the pot. And that became a big issue. Is one allowed to do that? Is one not allowed to do that? Because at the end of the day, you put the, set the pot on the stove, and a few minutes later, the non-Jew is going to come and light that fire, which she's allowed to, because she's allowed to light the fire for heat, and then your pot's going to cook. Midrabama, that constitutes a malacha or bishul, and that is not allowed. We then move on to the different levels of food, which are relevant when it comes to bishul. The a, a food which is completely cooked, then, and it's dry, it's a dry food, there's no more bishul after that. Once something is completely cooked, one cannot recook cooked dry food. Something which is only partially cooked, not even uh, a third cooked or a half cooked, then everybody agrees that if you continue cooking that, you are even it's the director of Melechus Bishel. So any food which is not reached Macha Ben if you ca- carry on cooking it on Shabbos, you have, you have transgressed the Isra Bishel. Something which is fully cooked and it's dry, there cannot be any more Bishel after that, and there's no Isra Bishel at all there. Something which is cooked to Michael Ben but can still continue to cook, it's partially cooked, third cooked, or half cooked, but can continue to cook, that's a big machalakis, and the halacha we take on, that it is, it is considered bishul. So even if something has been on the flame for a while, and the food is partially cooked, if you would replace that on Shabbos, to continue cooking, to finish off the process of cooking, you have transgressed the issue of bishul. Something which is completely cooked, but is a davalach, it's a liquid, the, the halacha differs. If it's still hot, hot meaning it's still warm, it doesn't even have to be yad to lettuce boy, it's less than yad to lettuce boy, but it's comfortably warm that you would eat it, then reheating it would not constitute an issa of bishul. Even though we say yesh bishul acha bishul bedavalach, there is bishul after liquid has been cooked once, you can recook it, that's only when it's completely cooled down. If it's still got an element of the original heat in it, it's still warm, there's no malacha of bishul there. So, a davalach which has been completely cooked and is partially cooled down, there's no more bishul. If it's completely cooled down, then there would still be an element of bishul. The practical example of a double luck cooling down, this is something which does happen, and it has happened, and we've had the showers a few times, if somebody's challenge, the, the flame under the challenge went off, and you come down early Shabbos morning, and you realize the flame's gone off, and you quickly knock next door, of course you've got an area between yourself and your neighbor, and you knock next door, and you say, please can I bring my challenge and place it on your stove, so at least we'll have some hot challenge for, for the room. Now, if that challenge is partially warm, it hasn't cooled down completely, warm enough that you could eat it still, and you can happily take that pot off your stove, which is now cold, take it next door and place it on their stove, there's no problem of Chazor, as we learned in the Halachas of Chazor, and there's no problem of Bishul, because it's not completely cooled down. If, however, it has completely cooled down, then here you have a problem, to take that pot and return it to your neighbor's stove, or even if you have another stove in your own house, to return it to another stove where it will reheat, that would constitute a Malachas Deraisa of Bishul. If that does happen, please do ask, there are ways around it. But for yourself, to go and take the pot and replace it on another stone would be an Issa Deraisa of Bishul. We then discussed, right at the end of the year, the different levels of heat found in different, in different kalim, in different vessels. A kalim which a pot which is on the stone, is of the most intense heat, the most potent, potent heat. That is the Simplest understanding of Bishul putting something in a pot on the flame, that is the simplest, straightforwardest, what we imagine is called Bishul. Take the pot off the flame, it's still extremely hot, it's 
Kaili Rishon. Not on the fire, but it's still called the Kaili Rishon, meaning the first Kaili, the, the actual vessel that was cooked in. The heat of that vessel is intense, extremely potent, and will cook. Even when it's off the flame, it will still continue to cook. The next level of Kaili is a Kaili Shani. If you would then transfer the, the food or the liquid from the first, that Kaili Rishon, which was on the fire, place it into another pot, a second pot, the fact that it's now in the second pot, which wasn't on the fire, the size of the pot will cool down the food that's inside that pot, and therefore the heat, the level of heat is not as intense as in the Kalirishan, and therefore the halakhas of a Kalirishan is different to that of a Kalirishan. We will discuss that with Hashem later on in the year. Move then from there on to a Kalirishishi, you transfer that from the Kalirishan into a third pot, into a Kalirishishi, that is much lesser, a much lesser level of heat, and again the halakhas differ from Kaili Shani to Kaili Shlishi. So the fan, for instance, would be called your Kaili Rishan. You pour, open the cap, fill a cup of hot water, that would be considered your Kaili Shani. Take that cup, pour it into a third cup, into a second cup, I should say, that would be considered your Kaili Shlishi. So the pot that's on the flame, whether it's on the flame or not on the flame at the present moment, is considered a Kaili Rishan. That's the most intense heat. has the power to cook, whether it's on the flame or it's not on the flame. A Kedishani is when you take the contents of the first pot, transfer it to a second vessel, be it a pot, be it a cup, be it a plate, whatever it may be, that's considered a Kedishani. Transfer it again, and that will be considered a Kedishlishi. What we have to do today is try and work through the different levels of heat and what one may or may not do. To take a pot off the stove of hot water and dip in it something raw, something which is uncooked, would be completely after you would transgress the issue of Bishul. You're taking a raw piece of food, dipping it into your urn, dipping it into a pot, even if the pot's not actually on the flame at this present moment in time. You've taken it up already, you dip in something which is uncooked into that pot, you have cooked, you have done an action of cooking min It's a secondary, secondary degree heat, but a secondary degree heat is Bishul. So you take an uncooked food, put it in your Kaili Rishon, you have cooked. So, for instance, you would take a piece of bread, dip it into your Kaili Rishon. We hold that the is cooking after baking. You have now cooked that bread after you baked it, you've cooked it, you have done a Malacha Deraisa of Bishul. Dipping into a Kaili Rishon is considered Bishul. So, for example, just to give some practical examples of where this, this is applicable, you're taking your soup off the flame on a Friday night and you lift up the pot and you realize that you forgot to flavor it. Sounds funny, but it does happen on the other occasion. You forgot to flavor it, and you had 15 guests around the table. Uh, you don't fancy pouring everybody's plate out and then flavoring each plate. It's a rather difficult job. So you have a brainwave. You're going to take the pepper and wherever it is from the cupboard, and you're going to just pour it into your pot of soup. If you did that, you would been over an Issa Deraisa of Bishul. You have taken the pepper, which is uncooked, put it into your hot pot of soup, which is a Kaili Rishan, and cooked the pepper. It's, it's cooked to the degree that if the Bialoka says if the, if the pepper went into the soup and you cooked it, it could even be that you're not allowed to eat that soup afterwards. You have now cooked on Shabbos something which is uncooked. Definitely, if the pot was unflavored completely before Shabbat and you added pepper in, then there's no doubt you would not allow to be to eat that soup. But even if it was flavored, you just felt you wanted to add a little bit more for, you know, one for the road, one for a bit of extra luck, 
you realize there was a Hungarian in the, in the, in the, amongst your guests and you didn't put enough pepper in, then, again, the Bialacha is not clear, but he seems to say that one would not be allowed to eat that soup on Shabbos. To, sorry, you could transfer that pot to a second pot, and then, then flavor it, that would be okay, as we'll learn later on in the Shemitsu. If you want to do, put your croutons, baked croutons, not fried croutons, baked croutons into your kalirishan, there you have another situation where you're taking something that you just baked, putting it into your pot of soup, and it's a kalirishan, straight off the fire, but it's a kalirishan, you're now cooking your baked croutons, that would be an ithimalaka deraisa. Fried croutons is different, because fried croutons, deep fried croutons, according to most possibly is considered cooked, cooked, not, not, uh, not baked, they're considered cooked, and since they've been cooked in deep fried, no difference if you cook in water, if you cook in oil, cooking means to cook in a liquid, and therefore they're considered cooked, you can, you can place fried croutons even into your kalirishan. To add, for instance, you take the, you've taken the soup off the flame and you've realized that it's rather strong and needs a bit of watering down. You want to add some water to it, to add cold water to your soup, to water it down, would again be an istamalachadraisa of fishel. You have now heated up this cold water in a kalirishan. To add cold soup to it, even though the cold soup has once been cooked, but now it's cold, and cooked liquid, which has cooled down, is considered yes bishel achabishel, but davalach, to add some more cold soup to your pot of soup, again, will be considered bishel minatayr. However, to add your lotion or your kloblok, or anything like that, which is not a dovalak, it's a dovalyavish, which has already been cooked, to add that to your pot of soup before you serve, will be 100% mutter. Because once something's cooked, and it's a solid, it can never be recooked. If it can't be recooked, you can add it even to your kaliration, which has the ability to cook, and there's no problem, no ismalak or bishul, because you can't cook something which has already been cooked. Adding salt to a pot of soup, which is probably more likely than adding pepper, adding salt to, to a pot of soup is, is a slightly different situation. Modern day salt, well, old fashioned salt was raw rock salt, salt which was uncooked, and then there would be no, no question about it, you couldn't add it to your pot. But modern day salt has gone through a process which where the salt is cooked. It has been cooked once before. But here, salt is a slightly different scenario to normal flavorings. Salt, when you put it into a, a pot of soup, or sugar, you add sugar to a, a hot cup of tea, it dissolves. And what we don't know is, and it's not clear in halacha, is something which is a solid at room temperature. But when you dissolve it in, in, a, in a liquid, returns back to liquid state, is that considered a liquid, or is that considered a solid? Do we consider it a, a solid, and therefore we stay on a solid, ain't bishel acha bishel, there's nothing to worry about. You can't recook a solid which has once been cooked. Then salt has already been cooked. And you can add it to directly to your pot of soup. If we say that since salt dissolves on, on impact with the soup, it will dissolve. And therefore it will return back to liquid state. So therefore we have to consider it as a liquid. Then one would not be allowed to add salt to your soup. This is a question which is brought down in the Shulchan Aruch. The Mechaber brings down two shitters. Some say you can add salt to a kaleration. Something you cannot add salt to a kaleration. The Mishnah Baruch says that one should refrain from adding salt to a kaleration. So even modern day salt, which is cooked, but since it dissolves immediately on impact, 
We are machmir, we give it the din of a liquid, and therefore you should only add salt to your keli sheni, you shouldn't add it to your keli rishon. The process, it's, it's been, it's boiled away, and yeah. Yes, you know, I think so. Prove me wrong, I'm quite happy to be proven wrong. The same with the powdered sugar, modern day sugar is again crystallized, it's been, co- been cooked. The, the, to add sugar to a, a keli rishon, to a pot, which has been on the flame, even if it's not on the fire at this present moment, one shouldn't, because since it dissolves, it could constitute a problem of facial habit, if one needs to, to a KD Shani. We explained that to add cold water to a KD is also considered facial. So one can't add cold water to your soup, you can't add cold water to your urn, because you're cooking that cold water. If, however, you have a pot of hot liquid, a pot of soup, and you didn't mind if the pot cooled down, and you took a very large amount of cold water and you poured it into your hot water. So for instance, you had a cup with a small bit of cold water at the, hot water at the bottom. Or you're making a baby's bottle and you had at the bottom a small amount of hot water. And you then poured in one go a large amount of cold water on top of that. So the hot water would cool down before the cold water had a chance to cook. And that's, that's okay. That's completely mustard. So you could, if you had a cup of small amount of cold water and you wanted to add some co- hot water, Sorry, you had a cup of small amount of hot water, you wanted to add some cold water to it, as long as you pour the cold water, a large amount of cold water in one go, that the hot water will cool down before the cold water has a chance to cook. One can do that, that's no problem at all. However, to drop bit by bit, even at the end you're going to end up with a cool cup, not a hot cup, but since you've dropped only small bits of hot cold water into the hot water, those small bits are going to cook. And then again, since it's a calorician, you have been over the issue of Bishel Minatoya. We'll discuss milk later. Milk, uh, modern day milk has been cooked. So, uh, it, has, it has a different halakha. Yes, to, to put cold milk into a kalirishan would be an isobishal. Cold milk into a kalirishan would be an isobishal. We'll discuss milk when it comes to teas. We won't quite get there this week, but we will discuss at length, next time in the coming year, how to make teas and coffee exactly without any problems from any surum. Teas and coffee are quite complicated, next in the, in the coming year. Of course, to add cold water to a calorician, even if you're adding a large amount of cold water, it, the calorician must be off the fire. If it's going to be on the fire, then even if it's never going to reach the heat of the Yatsalezis boy, because you're going to take it off too soon, it should be been over the Issa of Chazorah. So you can never put anything in the calorician on the fire that's completely off. Off the fire is what we're discussing. If you pour a small amount of cold water into the hot water, you've cooked the cold water. If you pour a large amount of cold water into the hot water, you've cooled down the hot water, not cooked the cold water. That's basically, in short, the halachas of a kalirishan, where you're putting inside food inside the kalirishan. To put in cooked food inside the kalirishan, which is dry, is mutter. Wet food, which is hot, is mutter. Wet food, which is cold, even if it's been cooked, is completely osa. And uncooked food is completely osa. That's, in short, the halachas of placing inside a kalirishan. We then move on to the next stage. As long as it's all more than you have to add this boy, and you've got no problem of chazorah, when we add hot water to a soup, if it's off the flame, then as long as it's all you have to add this boy. When we talk about pouring into a kalirishan, we're really talking about when it's the, the heat of the kalirishan is just to add this boy. If it's cooled down, 
to the to the point that it's not Yatsunevis anymore, then it can't. It hasn't got the potency of, the, of heat to be able to cook. So it, wouldn't, it won't be able to cook, and you can add what you like to it. So when we talk about Kalim Rishon, and all Kalim at this point in time, we're talking about Kalim which are still at the degree of heat of Yatsunevis boy, which is, you dip your little finger in, it will burn. Yatsunevis boy, a, a, a level of heat that has the power to cook. So up until I will discuss placing things inside a Kalirishan. The next stage of a Kalirishan is pouring from a Kalirishan. What we call Ir Kalirishan. Ir Kalirishan is an enormous machlekes in the Rishonim. It's not clear in the Gemara. There's enormous machlekes in the Rishonim. What degree of heat is in the... How do you say it in English? The, in the flow, in the, in the stream. They're both not quite the right, right words, but as long as you understand what I mean, when you start pouring the kettle and the water pours out, what degree of heat is in that stream of water? Is it still considered a calorition? Does it have exactly the same degree of heat as a calorition? Does it have perhaps the degree of heat of a calorishani? Because it's not quite in the pot anymore. It's already left the confines of the walls of the pot. Or is it something in the middle? Now, there's a very big enough to show him. One shifter in places is that the area, the pouring of a Kalirishan has exactly the same halachas as a Kalirishan. And just as a Kalirishan has the, the ability to cook, so too the water that's poured out of the Kalirishan directly onto something has the ability to cook. The second shifter is that somewhere in the middle, the inner Kalirishan, when you pour from a Kalirishan, it doesn't have the same ability to cook as the Kalirishan itself, but it still has an element of ability to cook. It will cook what's called today clipper. It will cook just the a thin veneer on the outside of what you're pouring on, but it won't cook the whole piece. So according to the first shitter, if you pour it from the kettle onto a piece of chicken, we will consider the whole chicken cooked. According to the second shitter, which is a level down, but it has its kumas and it has its hummus, and you pour onto the chicken, not the whole piece of chicken is cooked, just the thin edge of the, the chicken, the clipper, the external, the outside of the chicken will be cooked. But as you dig another millimeter in, that will remain uncooked. The third shitter is that the Kali Rishon, Kali Rishon, does not cook at all. Lahalacha, we take on that an Iri Kali Rishon has the ability to cook, but only a slipper, only the thin piece at the edge, and no more. And we'll discuss in a few minutes the difference between Lahalacha, and it makes a very big difference to us, whether the Iri Kali Rishon has the ability to cook right the way through the piece of food that you're pouring on, or if it doesn't have the ability to cook right the way through, it only has the ability to cook just a small amount. So, since we talk about a Kalirishan does have an element of heat, which can cook, be it only a today clipper, at the end of the day we have to be very careful that whatever we pour from a Kalirishan is not being poured onto something that can cook. Because something raw, you take your hot water and you pour it on it, you have now cooked. You put something uncooked in your cup and you place it under your urn and you open the tap and the hot water comes into that tap, you have now done an action of cooking. Even if it only cooks a great clipper, but to cook a, t- a small amount is also cooking. So you've got to be careful now whenever we pour from a calorition, we, we don't pour onto something which has not been cooked yet. So for instance, to place your seasoning in your plate and then pour from the soup pot directly into your plate, since you're pouring from a calorition into your plate, that will be considered an calorition. We will discuss ladles, Rezashem, in the coming shurim. Not today. We will discuss the, the, the position of a ladle and whether a ladle 
takes us down the step, or does not take us down the step. But assuming that you can lift your pot up and you can pour straight from your pot into your plate, you have seasoning in your plate and you pour the soup onto that, you have transgressed the Isabishal. If you have your croutons in the plate and you pour straight from your pot into your plate, onto, on, on top of these croutons, these baked croutons, again, you have cooked something which has been baked, you can cook something which has been baked, you have now cooked those croutons that are in your plate. Pouring hot water onto, pouring hot water onto, into, sorry, into a cup with cold water inside it. Which is uh, someone who likes to make their tea by placing the tea essence first in the, in the bottom of the cup and then uh, pouring the hot water straight onto it. So you're pouring hot water straight from a calorician, straight into a cup, where at the bottom of the cup you have some liquid which is cold. Since Irrocalorition, pouring from a calorician can cook, you have now cooked that water at the bottom of the cup. So to pour hot water into a cup with cold water at the bottom, whether that cold water has been cooked or hasn't been cooked, but is now cold, you have cooked. Just by pouring, you have cooked that cold water in the bottom of the cup. So when one makes a tea, the first thing one has to realize is if you're going to put a cup under the urn, the cup must be empty. Having small droplets of water at the bottom, if one can't dry it out, one can't dry the cup properly. It's impossible for whatever reason it may be. And you need to pour the hot water into that cup. Small droplets of water which have already been cooked. That means the remains of the hot water in the, in the cup of previously. If there's only a, a very small amount, just a, a small residue of the water, and you find it difficult to clean that out properly, since you don't really care about that residue, the posthumum may fill and they allow you to pour the hot water directly into the cup. But if you have a small amount of water in that cup, to add hot water directly would, be, would constitute visual. You have cooked the cold water in the cup. However, if you have a lot of cold water in the cup, and you're only going to add a small amount of hot water just to take off the edge, but it will not heat the water, you haven't got the, you're not going to pour in enough hot water to be able to heat that cold water that's in the cup, and that will be okay. Because you've not cooked. The hot water has cooled down before the cold water has a chance to be cooked. In a calorician, since a calorician can cook completely through a complete piece of raw food, there's another level which we didn't mention, which we're going to mention now, and this is the difference between cooking inside a calorician and cooking by pouring from a calorician. You have a baby bottle with your baby milk inside it, and you want to heat it up. So you have a hot pot of water which you've taken off the flame, and you dip your baby bottle in. Now, since the calorician has the ability to cook right away through a piece of food, it can cook through, a, through an, a vessel as well. So if you take your baby bottle and dip it right into a pot of hot water, which is a calorician, you have cooked the food inside that, the liquid inside that baby bottle, and you have been over an Issa of Bishal If, however, you would take the bottle of water and just hold it underneath the tap, of your urn, and it's pouring out of your urn onto the bottle, since we take on the inner calorician, pouring from a, from, a, from a calorician can only cook a clipper, a small external amount, the heat hasn't got the ability to go through the bottle, through the, through the cali, to get to the food inside, and therefore you have not cooked the food inside. So if you would then take your bottle, hold it underneath your urn, switch on the tap, make sure you've got something to catch the water afterwards, 
Switch on the tap and let the hot water flow over your bottle. Through its irritation, irritation has the ability to cook, but since we take on the halacha that the level of cooking of an irritation is only today clipper, only a small amount on the outside, it can't cook right way through, that clipper has been saved by the body bottle, by the body keili. The heat will not be able to transfer itself through the keili, then into the food, and cook the food inside, and therefore you have not cooked the food inside, and you can do that without any problem at all. So, we've learned the halakhic of kelirishan. Placing inside the kelirishan has the ability to cook. An uncooked food inside the kelirishan has the ability to cook. Cooked food inside the kelirishan is mutter because cooked food can't be cooked. Liquids which have been cooled down, even if they've been cooked, or uncooked liquids, to place that in the kelirishan would constitute an amalakha of cooking. Pouring from a kelirishan onto something which has not been cooked, is a malacha of bishul, a bishul of today clipper, only a small amount on the edge, but it's still a, it's still a, a issue of cooking. Pouring onto liquids which are not cooked would be a problem if there's, what you're pouring is going to be a large amount of hot water and the liquid is only a small amount of liquid. You have then cooked a small amount of that liquid, you've cooked the, the cold liquid in the, in the, in the cup. Pouring a cold water, hot water into a lot of cold water would be mutter, because that way it's not cooking. And pouring onto a bottle would be mutter, because the ability of cooking from pouring is only to cook a small thin veneer, and that veneer has been taken up by the bottle, and therefore will not get through to your food inside. You can shake the bottle as much as you like. The cooking, it will not, the heat will not be able to... Yeah, yeah you can, sure you can, sure. Because it, it doesn't have the ability to cook anything past the bottle itself. So that was the halakha of Kedirishan and pouring from a Kedirishan. The next progression from that is we move on to a Kedirishani. And we'll go through the halakha of Kedirishani briefly. The halakha of Kedirishani is a little bit more complicated than the halakha of Kedirishan, only in the sense that it's a less clear, definitive rules of Kedirishani. Kedirishani is slightly unclearer than, more unclear than Kedirishan. And I'll explain to you why. Kedirishani in the simple understanding of it, and the way it seems from the Gemara and from Halacha, should, should not have the ability to cook. Once you've taken it out of the Kedirishan, you've poured it into a new vessel with new sides, which haven't received the heat directly from the flame, from uh, an original source of heat, those sides will cool down anything that enters into that Kedi, and will reduce the heat to the extent that it will not have the ability to cook. So even if it's Yaksa Leather's boy, even if it's yesterday's boy, what's inside that vessel is still hot, and if you put your finger in, you're going to go out, but the intensity of heat is such that, uh, that it's been reduced slightly from Kedirishan, and really doesn't have the ability to cook. However, the Gemara does tell us, the Gemara tells us in the Gemara Shabbos, that if you take salt, uncooked salt, and put it into Kedirishani, you are cooking. So what we see from that Gemara is there are some things that even in a Kedirishani will cook. Certain things which are easier to cook, not as difficult to cook, and will cook with a less intense heat, will be able to reach the level of cooking even in a Kedishani. And this is where the difficulty starts. We know the Gemara tells us that uncooked salt is called Kalehadishal, something which is easier to cook and will cook with a less intense heat of the Kedishani. We don't know what else is called Kalehadishal. We don't really know what other articles, what other foods are easy to cook and what foods are more difficult to cook. We don't have very much of an idea. We only have a few small amount of information which is given to us by some of the Poskim, by the Gemara, but most of it is left in the dark. So much so that the Uraim 
who is the Talmud of Rabbeinu Tam, who lived in the, I would say, the 1100s, end of the 1100s, he writes in his Sefer that since we don't know which foods cook easily and which foods need a great intensity of heat, therefore one has to be careful and one mustn't place any uncooked food into a Kedi Shani. So Kedi Shani is now this grey area. It's really a level of heat that can't cook, but yet we do know it can cook something. And because we don't know what those things are, we have to really be machmir and not allow ourselves to put anything into a Kedi Shani. So for instance, the Mechabah will tell us, the Mechabah tells us that to take bread and put the bread into a Kedi Shani could be a problem. He brings down one, one view that to place bread into a Kedi Shani would be a problem. Bread has been baked, hasn't been cooked, so yes, it's possible to cook after you're baked. You're now putting in an uncooked food into your Kedi Shani. We don't know if bread is something that takes a long time to cook and needs a more intense heat, or is bread something that can cook even with a lesser degree of heat. Therefore, to, pay, to place bread into your Kedi Shani would be awesome. And now, look what we take on. The Mishnaburu Paskim is like this. Chaznish is more maple, but nearly all the Paskim, including the Mishnaburu, is very clear that one should refrain from putting in bread or anything that we are not sure that doesn't cook into a Kedi Shani. So therefore, to take your croutons, your baked croutons, not your fried croutons, and put them into your plate, if your plate is a Kedi Shani, which we'll discuss Hashem, in the coming Shurim, whether your plate is a Kedi Shani or not. But let's assume you took your pot and you poured directly from your pot into your plate, and you now bring the plate to your table, and you want to put your croutons in, that would be a problem of putting bread into your Kedi Shani, which Mishnah says, ideally, one shouldn't. What we do know clear in Halakha, there are some things which definitely does not cook, definitely does not cook in a Kedi Shani. One of the things which we know for sure doesn't cook in a Kedi Shani is Pavlin. All spices, spices do not cook in a Kedi Shani. We know that it's clear in Halakha that you can place spices in your Kedi Shani, so if you wanted to, if you took your pot of soup off the, off the flame, and you discovered it was unflavored, and you poured it into another pot, you could then happily put your uncooked spices into that pot, there's no trouble at all, because Pavlin will not cook in the Kedi Shani. So that's one thing we know for sure will not cook in the Kedi Shani. The other two things which are clear in Halakha is oil doesn't cook in the Kedi Shani. Many of you are going to pour oil into the Kedi Shani. And water doesn't cook in the Kedi Shani. So those two things we do know for sure. So to place cold water into a Kedi Shani is 100% water. Even though we are not fit, we try not to put normal foods into a Kedi Shani, but cold water will definitely not cook in a Kedi Shani. So if you have your cup Take a, you fill your cup with the hot water from the urn, it's a Kedi Shani, you can now happily add cold water to that cup without any worries at all. What we don't know, and again this is a big machlekes, can you add any other liquid? Is all other liquid the same as water? When we say water, do we mean all liquid? Or do we just mean water? The difference would be, can you add milk, for instance, to your Kedi Shani? So if you've taken your hot cup of water and you want to pour cold milk into your Kedi Shani, can one pour cold milk in? Now, in truth, it's a big machlekes. It doesn't really affect us much nowadays, for the simple reason that we have another colour when it comes to Kedi Shani. Even though we are not sure what a Kedi Shani can cook and what it can't cook, and we're not sure if a Kedi Shani can cook all other liquids, or if it can't cook all other liquids, but cooked liquids, which have cooled down, then we take on 
Everybody takes some that Kaili Shani will not cook. So even though it's cooled down liquid, which is being cooked, we normally say yes, Bishlach Bishul, but in a Kaili Shani, we will, we will say there's no Bishul. Now all our liquids, all our milk, etc., has been pasteurized, has been thoroughly cooked. So there's no issue, no problem at all, to take cold milk from the fridge and pour it into a Kaili Shani. So we have here some parameters which make life easier for us. We know Katie Shaney can cook. We don't know what. We do know, though, that it can't cook tablin, spices. We do know that it can't cook water and perhaps all other liquids. And we also know that it can't cook any liquid that's already been cooked, even if that liquid is completely cold now. And normally we say, yes, bishalach, bishalach, but in the Katie Shaney, we don't. Coming one from that is one other color. We discussed sugar and salt. One shouldn't place sugar, sugar and salt, even if it's been cooked, in a kalirishan, because it dissolves on impact, and if it dissolves, we have to consider it like a dovalach, like a liquid, and a liquid which is cooled down can recook. But just as we said now, you can pour cold water, cold milk, which has already been cooked once, into your kalishani without any worries, you can definitely add sugar or salt, etc. to your kalishani. So you have now an ability to begin to make your tea in your Kedishani. Whether you can continue to make your tea in the Kedishani, we'll discuss in the term in the coming weeks. But with respect to the problem of sugar and to the problem of your milk, you can make your tea directly in your Kedishani. <coughs> Order being? Can you pour from a Kedishani onto the sugar? We've said an Kedishani can cook. A Dovalach. So if you put your sugar in first and then put your hot water directly pouring onto it, that, that, that would be, that would be uh, wrong. You would put the hot water in the Kaili first, so it's now completely Kaili Shani, and then you can put your, your sugar in. And finally, the last color in the Kaili Shani is that pouring from a Kaili Shani, or a Kaili Shani, into a Kaili Shlishi, to pour directly onto anything is completely mutter. Even though in a Kaili Rishan, has an element of heat that can cook, like a Kalirishan, be it only a Kalei Clipper, but it has that level of heat that it can cook. Once it's left the Kalei Shani, everybody agrees it has no power to cook at all. So even the Kalei which can be cooked inside a Kalei Shani, cannot be cooked with the pouring of a Kalei Shani. So a Kalei Shani is not like a Kalei Shani and doesn't have the ability to cook at all. We will discuss Bezrashem. I think we've had enough integrate our lessons for one week. We will discuss, as I said, how to make a coffee and how to make a tea. We will discuss all the relevant halachas of a ladle, the halachas of a dog of gush, a solid, solid food coming out of your kalirish and moving over to kalishani, over to kalishlishi. We will move on to discuss kalishlishi's meshashem. Ladles, there's a ladle, is a ladle called a kalishani, and then you'll play the kalishlishi, etc. Is it not? We will go to all those and hopefully have a clear picture how one should serve and what one can put in one soup, what one can put in one soup, what one can do with one child and come and add salad to a plate, all these practical shilas we will discuss with Hashem in the coming weeks. Just to end up with a short of our prayer. We start this week the new Sefer, Sefer Bamidbah, which in Chazal Sefer Bamidbah is called Chumash Hapikudim. Chumash Hapikudim means the book, the Chumash of accounting. It's called Chumash HaPikudim because Pasha's Bamidbar, which is this week's Sedra, is has a number of times mentioned where HaKadosh Baruch counted Kali Shol. Counted Kali Shol as 
single people counted control with respect to the Degolim, to the camps, to the flags, a number of different times when the Chachvach counted Kalisol. Yet, if the Sefer is called Chumash Apikudim, that gives us an indication that this counting, which was Kalisol counted these numerous times in this week's Sedra, wasn't just a passing phenomenon, something which just we went through, we, we were counted and that was it. The counting of Kalisol must have remained to the degree that the Sefer is called Chumash Apikudim. To call the Sefer Chumash Apikudim, it must be that this counting, or whatever this counting was, the purpose of this counting, remained forever. So much so that the Chumash can be called Chumash Hapikudim forever. And the Shnar explains very simply, he says, he actually tells us at the beginning of the Sedra that there were three countings. There were three countings where I counted directly Kali One was when we came out of Mitzrayim. One was when Kali were flagged after the Ego, after the Chet Ego. Kachbocha counted Kalisol again to see how many remains. And finally, in this week's Sedra, says Rashi, we were counted. Why were we counted? And the wording of Rashi is, when HaKashmoch wanted to come and rest his Shechina on Klav Yisrael, so he counted them again. So the counting of this week's Sedra is a counting of the Hashra Shechina, a counting of the resting of the Shechina on Klav Yisrael. The purpose of the counting was so HaKashmoch could rest his Shechina. HaKashmoch resting his Shechina is something which is eternal. That's eternal. It's there forever. Therefore, that counting is everlasting. That counting is represented in the name of the Sefer of Bamidbar Chumash Hapikudim. What we don't quite understand yet is the Gemara tells us that Kol Gavash Abaminyan or Dabah HaMamay anything which is counted Dabah HaMadud Dabah HaMamay Ein HaBracha Shoyer something which is counted will not receive Bracha don't count your money because if you count it there will be no Bracha in that money Dabah HaSomim in the eye something which is hidden from the eye one doesn't know exact amounts that's where Bracha is found. Bracha is never found in something counted. But yet here we find in this week's Sedra exactly the opposite. The Akadosh Bracha has counted Kali for the very purpose of giving Bracha. Bracha means what we call Ispastus, to spread, to spread the Bracha, to spread the, the influence of Akadosh Bracha down further and further. Bracha has no end. Bracha is something without any boundaries. Bracha is Hashra In this week's Sedra we are counting but the counting is bringing Hashra Sashkina. When really we find in Chazal that counting does the opposite. Something which is Midrash Dominion, you don't find Bracha. Something which is counted, you don't find Bracha. So the Shah explains, very beautifully, explains as follows. Bracha is a, spirit, is a spiritual thing. Bracha means Bracha sending down from, from Shemaim this Bracha, this ability to increase, this witness, something to Enhance something which has no boundaries. Ain keli mastik bracha el ha'shalom. Chazal tell us, the Mishnah, ain keli mastik bracha el ha'shalom. There's no vessel that can hold bracha because a vessel is something which confines. Bracha is something which has no boundaries. To have a vessel holding bracha is a contradiction. You can't have a vessel holding bracha. The only vessel that can hold bracha is shalom, is peace. And that's a different discussion. How shalom is a vessel which can be mastik bracha. But bracha and and keli are contradictions. Bracha and a fixed number is a contradiction because counting in the physical world gives a boundary to it, gives an end. There's a hundred pound notes here, there's no more. There's a physical boundary there. Where there's a boundary, there can be no bracha. A bracha cannot be found in something which is mitzumsum, something which is bound by the rule. 
which we don't know exactly what's there. Is there a hundred? Is there a hundred and ten? Is there two hundred? We don't know. If you don't know, then one can find bracha. There's nothing there to bind the bracha, nothing to prevent that bracha from spreading. But if you know exactly what's there in the physical world, you can't have bracha. Because where there's an end, where there's a boundary, there can be no bracha. In keli machzik bracha, a keli cannot hold bracha. Because a keli is something which confines, bracha is something which spreads, which isn't confined. The minimum, the counting in this week's Hebrew is not a counting of the physical world. Kalisrael is not something physical. Kalisrael is, the misstanding of Kalisrael is something above the boundaries of the physical world. The counting of Kalisrael is not a counting that brings with it boundaries. The counting of Kalisrael on the country brings with it Rocha. Counting of Kalisrael, each member of Kalisrael is one. Each member of Kalisrael is represented by a letter in the prayer. Chazal tell us that the, every letter in the prayer corresponds to one member of Kalisrael. There are 600,000 members of Kalisrael and there are 600,000 letters in the prayer. In fact, if you count them out of letters in the prayer, you won't quite find that. And there's uh, the Achreinim, the Chassam Sefer writes, by Riches and Shuvas, exactly how the letters correspond with each member of Kalisrael. But Chazal do tell us, it's a Furish Chazal, that every letter in the prayer corresponds to a member of Kalisrael. And we know that the letter in the prayer is just the external. The letter, each letter in the prayer has an internal, has an internal, has an internal, Learning a prayer which goes on forever and ever and ever. Every letter has behind it an inner meaning, and behind that another inner meaning, and behind that another inner meaning. The counting of Kalisrael is not the counting of physical people. It's the counting of the spirituality of Kalisrael. The counting of this internal element of Kalisrael that has no boundaries, that every number can repeat itself and extend itself and continue to multiply more and more and more. A number in Kalisrael, a number in Ruchnius, is not a definitive number. A number in Ruchnius is just the beginning. But that number will multiply and will continue to spread itself even more. So the minimum of a, of a physical world, to count something physical, that's to give it boundaries. Where there's boundaries, there's no broker. But to count Kalisrael, to count prayer, to count something spiritual, to count something which has no boundaries on the country, that counting means that counting to be able to increase, counting to have more, counting to bring more spiritual answers to the world, that counting on the country will bring bracha. And therefore we find in the beginning of this week's Sedra that Kaddish counted every member of Kaddishro in order to be able to be master Shkenosi, to bring the Shkena down, that each member of Kaddishro should have the Shkena resting on him. That's better the Shkos, we should be Zecher, through learning the Halachas of Shabbos, and trying to keep Hilfah Shabbos, we should be Zecher, as Chazal Tanakh, whoever keeps two Shabbosis, will be Zecher to bring the Gola Sidim at Hashem, the time when we will truly see the Ashras Hashem, now we can't feel it, we can't see it, but when, that, when we are Zechot to the Biyasagel, we will really be Zechot to the Ashras Hashem, and we will understand what this counting of Kalisrael was in the Midbar, we will see that this counting is a counting without any limitations, a counting which will multiply and will increase, we will be Zechot to see the Biyasagel from Hebrew, Amen, Amen.